Did you know of all God's names, Father is his favorite? We know this because Jesus, when he was on the earth, called God Father over 200 times. The very first time that Jesus opened his mouth as far as recorded words in scripture, he said, did you not know that I must be about my Father's house? And when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, I give you my life. In the Gospel of John alone, Jesus calls God Father 156 times. And when Jesus was asked, can you teach us to pray? What was the very first thing he said? Our Father. Let's pray it together, shall we? As Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, join with me as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That prayer is in the Bible because the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. I can't find a verse in the Bible where the disciples said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to walk on water. Or teach us to raise the dead. Or even teach us to preach. Isn't it interesting that those who were closest to Jesus, who could ask him anything, wanted to know how to pray. Wouldn't you like to live the kind of life that would cause people to say, could you teach me to pray? And when Jesus instructed them on prayer, you might say he said nothing about prayer. As far as the technique. He didn't say fold your hands. He didn't say bow your head. He didn't say go into a sanctuary or go up onto a mountain. He didn't say what time to pray or how long to pray. All he did was pray. And in the prayer, he reveals God's nature. He reveals God's nature. As the Father who's in heaven. As the Father who's bringing a kingdom. As the Father who has authority over sins. As the Father who can bring daily bread. As the Father who can lead you out of temptation. As the Father who can help you face your enemies. As the Father who deserves all glory and praise. But most of all, as the Father. He begins the prayer by saying, Our Abba in the ancient language. Our Father. New Testament theologian Joachim Jeremias writes this paragraph about that first phrase. He says, With the help of my assistants, I have examined the prayer literature of ancient Judaism. The result of this examination was that in no place in this immense literature is this invocation of God as Abba Father to be found. Abba was an everyday word. It was a homely family word. No Jew would have dared to address God in this manner, yet Jesus did it always in all his prayers which are handed down to us with one single exception, and that is the cry from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In the Lord's Prayer, 
Jesus authorizes his disciples to repeat the word Abba after him. He gives them a share in his sonship. He empowers his disciples to speak with their heavenly father in such a familiar and trusting way. Abba literally in our language would be Papa or Daddy. It's an endearing term. It's an affectionate term. Many years ago when my oldest daughter Jenna was 12, we found ourselves in the old city of Jerusalem. We were walking out the Jaffa Gate on a busy afternoon. If I remember correctly, it was a Saturday afternoon. And the place was packed with tourists and citizens alike. Just a crowded mob of people walking through the Jaffa Gate over the rocky pebbled stones. In the midst of it all, somehow I heard a girl cry out, a voice of a small girl. And the voice said this, Abba, Abba, Abba. I turned and looked and there was a little girl who looked to be about four years of age. She was separated from her family. Out of nowhere comes a father dressed in the robe of Hasidic Jews and he spotted his girl and Abba walked over and took her hand. Pulled her close to him. Seemed to me he said a word to her. I can imagine what it was. Stay close, don't get lost. Something like that. Took her back and there I saw his wife and two or three other kids and I watched them. I watched the father hold his little daughter's hand close. They reached the intersection and the girl, having recovered from her little trauma, was energetic again. She stepped out into the street. The father pulled her back. They waited on the light to turn. He led her across the street. And when they reached the other side of the street, he reached down and he picked her up and he held her close. And I took note because I wanted to see what an Abba does. Because Jesus has invited us to call God Abba, Papa. So what does an Abba do? Well, he hears us when we cry, doesn't he? He holds our hand. He gives us words of exhortation, sometimes words of correction. He leads us. When we step too quickly into dangerous intersections, it's his job to pull us back. He walks us across the street, or he walks us through difficult times. And then there are those occasions when just out of a love that he has for us, he leans down and he picks us up. And he carries us to the next place. I want to pause for just a second. Would you let God be your Abba for just a moment? You're not too strong. You're not too big. You're not too successful. That you do not need an Abba. You were made to have an Abba Father. Weren't you? And he will be your Abba. He will be your Abba. And Jesus teaches us when you pray, say, Abba, our Father, our Father. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus lets us be servants in the kingdom. It's a wonderful thing that Jesus lets us be soldiers in the army of God. It's a wonderful thing that he invites us to be minstrels in the great heavenly worship. But what could be more wonderful than the simple fact that you are called and you can be a son or a daughter 
of God. And that when you pray, you can say, Our Father. You see, this happens because God has chosen not just to save us, but to adopt us. It would have been wonderful for him just to save us. We would have never complained, would we? But it wasn't enough for him. He chose to adopt us. When he died on the cross for you and for me, he decided that out of his justice he could not dismiss your sin, but out of his love he could not dismiss you. So in the most famous transaction in the history of the world, Jesus Christ, the sinless one, took your sins on himself and he died for your sins and for mine. And he satisfied the justice of God. But then he said, not only am I going to save them, I'm going to adopt them. Two passages in the New Testament are especially famous on this theme. One is in Romans chapter 8. For you received not a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of, what's the word? Adoption. As sons, by which we cry out, what? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Adoptive parents have a leg up on the rest of us in understanding this. I know I'm talking right now to some adoptive parents. I've never heard of an unplanned pregnancy. I've heard of unplanned pregnancies. But I've never heard of an unplanned adoption. Have you? If you're an adoptive parent, you know what that entails. It entails a decision up front that no matter what, I'm going to take care of that child. I'm going to go through the necessary legalities to bring that child home. God does the same. He seeks us. He adopts us. He signs the papers, if you will, and he brings us home. A few years ago, well, it's been quite a few years now, I was speaking in another state. A lady approached me after the message and said, could I call you when you get back to San Antonio? And she did. And she explained to me that her daughter, her pregnant daughter, was seeking a home for her unborn child. Did I know anyone in our congregation who was looking to adopt? Well, I did. And so I put her in touch with the family, and I took a front row seat as the drama unfolded. I watched the joy at the possibility, the heartbreak at a few roadblocks. I watched the resolve in the eyes of the father and the determination in the eyes of the mother. They would travel as far as it took and spend whatever was necessary. They wanted to adopt that child. And they did. Only moments after his birth, the baby was placed in their arms. And this is no exaggeration. That mom and dad smiled for a month. Every time I saw them, they were grinning. They just had this grin on their face. I'd see them in the church hallway carrying that baby. They were grinning. See in the parking lot, they were smiling. Walking down the street, they were smiling. I think I could have preached a sermon on the agony of hell and they would have smiled the whole time. They just smiled. Why were they, why were they so happy? Well, the child that they had longed for had come home. 
Why did they adopt that child? They had a good life. They were financially stable. They were happily married. They were gainfully employed. What did they hope to gain? Did they adopt that baby so they could get some extra sleep? <laughs> so they could get a little extra cash? No, they knew they would lose both the minute they brought that baby home. Why did they adopt that child? Why do people adopt children? Well, as you are formulating your answer as to why people adopt children, can I tell you why God adopted us? Delight yourselves in these words. Long, long ago before God made the world, God chose us to be his very own. Through what Christ would do for us, he decided then to make us holy in his eyes. Without a single fault, we who stand before him covered in his love. His unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by sending Jesus Christ to die for us. And he did this, why? Because he wanted to. And you thought he adopted you because you're so good looking. <laughs> you thought he needed your money. You thought he needed your skills or your wisdom or your wit. Isn't it something to know that the motivation for your adoption really has nothing to do with you and everything to do with God? That he just adopted you because he wanted you. He wanted you in his family. It's good to know that he adopts us because of his love. Because our love can fail. Our love is inadequate. Our love can stumble. But if our adoption depends on his love and not ours, then even when our love is weak, our adoption is strong. Some of you understand this. You understand the love of a father because God in his kindness and in his providence blessed you with an earthly father who taught you the meaning of Father. When you think Father, when you think our Abba, it's not a small, I'm sorry, it's not a large leap for you to understand God as your Father because you saw this in the life and in the heart of a man who cared for you. Is that you? Is that your situation? If so, you be grateful. You be grateful because God doubly blessed you. But I know also I'm speaking to many people who when you hear the word father, you don't have an image because you didn't have a father. You don't have a perception because your father was absent. Or that is your perception of a father, one who's never home. Or maybe your understanding of father carries with it thoughts of violence, temper tantrums, addiction, anger. And all these years it's been very difficult. Anytime someone like me would stand up before you and say, just call God your father, there's something inside you that resists it. Because that guy you call father didn't treat you very well. I'm not saying this is easy to do. But I am saying it's necessary. And that is, you must delineate between your heavenly father and your earthly father. 
And you must not run, you must not filter your understanding of a father through your earthly father. But you must begin with your heavenly father and let him be the model. Let him be the definition. Let him be the picture of the perfect father. Let God define father in your life. If you were not raised by a healthy father, you may have father wounds. You may have some deep hurts. And when your father hurts you, it's the deepest of wounds. Because he's the one by nature who is supposed to care for you. And when your father doesn't care for you, it creates a sense of paranoia and fear the rest of your life. Unless you let God bring healing to that hurt. You'll falsely assume that anybody who says they're going to care for you will eventually reject you. Because if your father did, everyone will. And you'll project his misbehavior on everybody in your life. What's more, you'll be tampered and be hurt by a feeling of anger down deep in your heart. And unresolved anger often leads to released anger on others or anger at yourself, even a depression. So for your own sake, go and talk to your heavenly father about your earthly father. Talk to him and say, dear Lord, help me. Help me. What my father did was not right and I still hurt. Would you please come and meet me at that point of pain? And you will find that the Heavenly Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who is alive and well in your heart, if you've given your heart to Christ, is just waiting on that request from you. And He will come in and He'll begin to heal that. It may not come overnight. Then again, it may. But you just talk to Him about that and you will begin to heal. And you'll find that Father wound is healed by your Heavenly Father. That's what your heavenly father wants to do. He calls himself your Abba, your heavenly father. He's done everything necessary to serve as your heavenly father. He died for you. He adopted you. And did you know what else he has done? He has even paid for you. He's even purchased you. All you have to do is receive him as your father. Trust him. Put your faith in that. You'll notice in the two verses that we read, that's the verb that is given to you. That, that, that's your responsibility. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, you have received a spirit of adoption. You didn't earn the adoption, did you? You just receive it. And then in Galatians 4, receive the adoption as sons. Paul could have said, earn the adoption. Justify the adoption. But to be adopted into a family is not the work of the one being adopted. Adoption works because the parent takes the initiative. Parents don't go to an orphanage and say, we want to adopt somebody. Uh, help us find a kid that has a lot of money. Or help us find the smartest of your kids. Or help us to find a kid who won't ever give us any trouble. A good orphanage will tell those prospective parents to leave, leave right? Because the... Success of the adoption depends on the parents, not upon the child. The child doesn't have anything to offer. And your heavenly father knows this. And so he adopts you. Will you receive him again? Will you receive him today and say, Lord, I want you to be my father. Because he's done everything necessary to take you home. In the years leading up to World War II, there was a tribe in, Af in Ethiopia known as the Walamo tribe. And the Walamo tribe were Satan-worshipping, witch-doctor-led 
people. A group of missionaries felt it on their heart to reach out to these people. And many of those became Christians. One of them was a man by the name of Tygene. Tygene. Tygene gave his heart to Christ. And he trusted that God would be his father. And his world changed. But there was a problem. And that is that Tygene was a slave. He was owned by someone. And his owner would not let him visit a church. His owner would not let him read a Bible. His owner made mockery of Tygene's newfound faith. But that was a price Tygene was willing to pay. But the price Tygene could not pay was the $12 it would take to become a free man. Just $12. Raymond Davis was one of the missionaries who helped reach out to this tribe of people. And when he found out that Tygene could be a free man for $12, he passed the hat among the other missionaries and they purchased his freedom. That happened just before the missionaries were forced to leave Ethiopia. And for many reasons, Raymond Davis was prohibited from re-entering the country for many, many years. Tygene went on to lead a productive life, stayed faithful in his faith. Twenty-four years later, he was told that Raymond Davis was coming back to visit. Tygene was the first in the village to leave and go to where Raymond Davis was going to be arriving. He waited there several nights because he didn't want to miss the chance to be the first to welcome Raymond Davis. And when Raymond Davis arrived, Raymond Davis was, as the story's told, still in the car with the window rolled down and the car pulled up and his hand was hanging out. And Tygene saw him coming and he ran and he took his hand. Even as the car was still moving, he smothered the hand in kisses. And he began to tell him, thank you, thank you, thank you. Finally, the car came to a stop. Raymond Davis stepped out and Tygene fell to Raymond Davis's feet. And he covered his dusty shoes with kisses. And then, by then, a, a crowd of people had gathered. And Tygene stood up and he announced to them all, This is the man who purchased me. This is the man who purchased me. This is the man who purchased me. Isn't that a beautiful story? You know what would make it even more beautiful? Is if Raymond Davis had then said, Yes, I purchased you and now I'm going to adopt you. And I'm going to take you home. That didn't happen in the story of Tajin. But listen to me, my friend. That has happened in your story. That has happened in your story. And as God is my witness, there is a day in your future in which you will see Jesus Christ in the most honest worship to ever come out of your heart will erupt. And all of these anxieties and fears and troubles of this world will suddenly melt like an ice cube in a July sun. And all that will matter is that you reach out and you touch that pierced hand. And you're going to smother that hand with kisses. And then you're going to fall to his pierced feet and you're going to weep tears of joy over his feet. And I, I just imagine you're going to be one of those standing up, pointing to Jesus Christ, saying, this is the man who purchased me. This is the man who purchased me. And then you'll also be able to say, and he's also the one who adopted me into the family. Because that's what your father has done for you. Now this is a series of sermons on prayer. 
And you'll notice I haven't said anything today about prayer. Just like Jesus when he taught about prayer. Do you want to bow your head when you pray? Bow your head. You want to fold your hands when you pray? Fold your hands. You want to take two hours? You want to take ten minutes? Listen, you're talking to your Abba. And what matters when you talk to your Abba is just that you're his daughter. You're his son. And your Abba wants to hear from you. Naturally. Honestly. Daily. Hourly. He just wants to be with you. You were made to have the love of a father. And you have it in your Abba God. Let's pray again as Jesus showed us how to pray, shall we? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.